Thank you. Thank you. Right, so um, what we have here is a very appropriate uh, title for this Mother's Day service. In my humble opinion, a mother's love is probably the closest we are ever going to get to what's known as unconditional love from another person. So if you agree, and if you can, it is my hope that later on today you will actually be spoiling your mothers today. So this topic I'm going to cover under three headings. And as if by magic it all works, yeah. Um, so that's the why building deeper relationships is important, the what do deeper relationships actually look like, and then finally, how do we go about building these deeper relationships. So to start with, we'll go into the why building de deeper relationships is important. It feels like one of those silly questions to be asking ourselves. It doesn't really require an answer. Um, because the result is glaringly obvious. Um, it just takes or just makes intuitive sense that deeper relationships are good for you, whether you're a Christian or not, not a Christian. As Christians, we know that we are built in God's image, and God is all about love and relationships, so that means that is very much in our DNA, at the core of our being, all about relationships. So let's just dig a little bit into the why building deeper relationships is actually important. The Bible has a lot to say about this. And in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 to 39, it says that Jesus said the greatest commandment in the Lord is, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Jesus then went on to say that the second greatest commandment in the law is, Love your neighbor as yourself. So both these commands are to do with love, and love requires a relationship between at least two people. Otherwise, it's unhealthy, it's idolatry or something weird. So we have some very clear biblical commands that relationships are cent central to God's plan for us. Today, I'm just going to focus on relationships with people. So we're looking at the love your neighbor part. And notice that it doesn't say love your Christian neighbor as yourself. But your Christian neighbor is particularly important because the way you love your Christian neighbor sends a very strong message out into the unsaved world, unsaved community. And we are told in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, to love the family of believers. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said, A new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So again, we have some very strong reasons for us to put all of our resources, our energy and our time into building deeper relationships, particularly with our Christian family. Poor relationships, on the other hand, are actually sort of a disgraceful testimony to unbelievers. Unbelievers will not be attracted by a strife-filled fellowship. And when things do go wrong within the fellowship, it's an opportunity for us to actually just use Jesus' examples of forgiveness and love and show how those bad situations are not wasted and they can be turned into good by showing how those relationships can be restored. 
healthy and deepening relationships will also deepen unity in the body of the church. We are all part of this church body. If our unity or binding love is in good health, the result is a healthy flow of the lifeblood into all parts, all limbs of that body. So it's a good thing. Let's look now at the second heading, what do deeper relationships actually look like? And to do this, I'm going to look at the relationship between David and Jonathan. So reading from 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 to 5. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. So what do we see here? In verse 1 it says that Jonathan became one spirit with David. Now there isn't actually much to go on exactly what that looked like, how it came about, and what all it entailed. All we know is that there was this talk between Saul and David. And being Saul's son, Jonathan was probably present there as well. My study Bible suggests that perhaps that talk was deep and significant, and it gave David an opportunity to express his true faith and his belief, and um, it just put him in a very good light, and it touched Jonathan in very deeply. Also, having just killed Goliath would have probably put him in a very favorable light with all the previously fear-struck Israelites. We then have the humility from Jonathan as he enters into the covenant with David, where he hands his robe, tunic, his sword, bow, and belt. All of these are objects that indicated his total submission to David and acceptance of David's ultimate kingship. We know the story well of how David's continuing success eventually embitters Saul to the extent that Saul tries to kill David several times. Catherine reminded us of this last week when she spoke about handling success. She pretty much used this exact same passage. So we read and heard then that God deserted Saul and was with David. Saul filled He was filled with fear of David and consumed by it. There was petty jealousy. Everything David did during this phase of his life was a success. And he was much loved by all Israel and Judah. So this is how we get to the situation. In 1 Samuel chapter 19 verses 1 to 7. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him. My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to his father Saul and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then 
would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for, for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. So Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul, and David was with Saul as before. So this passage shows us four characteristics of this friendship that there existed between David and Jonathan. It shows there was a protective spirit, as evidenced by Jonathan warning David. It shows intercession, as David, um, well, as Jonathan put David's case very favorably to his father. It also shows a sacrificial attitude. Because there was no guarantee how Saul was going to react to Jonathan when he put that case to Saul. Saul could have been really spiteful and done something really nasty, but he took his life in his hands and he put that that case basically to his father. And it also shows an absolute and complete honesty between Jonathan and David because Jonathan reported the whole conversation to David. We know the story again that shortly after this, Saul was again provoked by evil spirits and again tried to kill David. David flees, and we read that Jonathan offers to assist David when in Samuel chapter 20, verse 4, Jonathan said to David, Whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. This shows another quality of a truly deep friendship, and that's unconditional nature um, of those deep relationships. It's the unconditionality of being totally dead to oneself in the service of another. The pair then hatched a plan to see what Saul's true heart is in the matter of David's fate. And it's at this point that Jonathan finally accepts that Saul actually intends to kill David. And we read in verse 34, Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger. On that second day of the feast, he did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. This is quite an extreme reaction, but it shows you that it's almost as if Jonathan felt his father was going to try and do harm to him himself. The closing verses of chapter 20 are then quite poignant as the pair say farewell. From verse 41 to the end it says, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to the town. So again, this is a passage that shows the the absolute submission and respect David had for Jonathan. He bowed down three times to him and his face was downcast to the ground. I also love the way that it says David wept the most. And I can only think that this little detail was included to highlight the depth of that relationship again by using extreme opposites. So David was seemingly the stronger of the pair, the more favored, and yet he was the most bereft and seemingly the weakest as well. Friends stand by each other to encourage one another through hardship as well. We see this in 1 Samuel 23 verses 16 to 18 where it says, And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Ahresh and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Haresh. 
So even though God deserted Saul, and Saul tried to kill David, David never once responded in like fashion. He was a loyal servant and friend to the end and beyond. There were several covenants between David and Jonathan, and they were all honored at the end after the death of Jonathan when David pretty much accepted Jonathan's son as his own. So right throughout this passage, we have this complete and loving relationship that had gone through its full life cycle as it had started with integrity and love. So just quickly to summarize those qualities found in a deep relationship, it was things like protection, defense, loyalty, love, likability, trust, sacrifice, service, humility, honesty, honor, encouragement, and unity. <clears throat> now, I can't claim to have ever had a friendship that goes that deep. Um, but I do have one story. Uh, my mom died in June, in June 2008. Um, I'm an only child, and I was very close to my mom. Had she been around today, there would have been a big bouquet from me for her. Conti and I came to the UK in 1999. And it was always sort of a dream of mine to one day bring my mom across from South Africa to the UK to live with us. Anyway, back to my story. Um, I spoke to my mom on the night before she died on the phone. And um, there was nothing wrong. We joked. It was a normal Sunday evening phone call to my mom. Um, the next day was a Monday, and um, I went on conference with my company to Norwich, and I just booked into the hotel and just gone into the first conference session when I took the call from Conti, and uh, she obviously gave me the sad news. I was absolutely floored in that moment because you know, I lost my mom, obviously, but I also just felt that that dream was crushed, and I'd never actually be able to put that into place. So there was a bit of disappointment in myself that I hadn't gotten around to that as well. The four days after that was just a blur, really, because I had to get back to Johannesburg as quickly as possible. Um, Conti and I had pretty much decided that it didn't make sense for me to go back with the whole family. It was just me. And during all this chaos, I took a phone call from a, a friend of mine at our previous church in Oxted. And um, yeah, he basically just offered... Um, To come with me to South Africa, there was nothing about advice. There was no money. There was no anything. It was just he wanted to come and be with me. And what made this particularly heartfelt was this was a humble music teacher. He had a wife and he had three kids. And I just knew that that offer would put him in debt if I was to take it up. Now I've read a saying that goes, if by the time you die you have as many true friends as you have fingers on one hand, then you are truly a rich man. So I never took him up on his offer, but I do count him as a friend. And now finally, let's, talk to, let's move to the third heading. How do we actually build these deeper relationships? There's no point in suggesting that we all try to turn all relationships into great friendships. We know the saying that as Christians, we are meant to love all, but that doesn't mean we have to be besties with everybody. I think the saying goes slightly differently, but we'll leave it at that. 
I don't think it's possible purely from a, a practical point of view. We don't have the time or the energy to invest that much in every single relationship to try and convert it to BFF status. There's also a very significant difference between the way men and women approach building deeper relationships. Just an interesting little aside. Do you know that the handshake goes back to 500 BC in Greece? where it was basically meant to see that um, there weren't weapons being carried, so that's why there was a handshake. And the story goes that the actual vigorous shaking of a handshake originated in medieval Europe, where the knights would shake one another's hands vigorously to dislodge any concealed weapons. <laughs> you can see with blokes there's an issue with um, trust and, and weapons all the time. Crazy. <laughs> However, and on a positive note, all relationships can and should be deepened. It's a bit like panning for gold. So what you do is you gently wash all your potential friends in the experiences or your own life experiences to see which of those are going to pop up like nuggets of gold. Those are the ones that you should invest your time in. Those are the ones that will not tarnish and the ones with which you will enjoy mutual enrich enrichment for the rest of your lives. So how do we do this? Sundays after church, again, is probably not the best place and time to try and deepen this. There just isn't the time or space. It's a bit like trying to spread a very small amount of butter on a large piece of toast. Something's going to be left dry. The key to building deeper relationships is the investment of your time and energy. We all know that our time is our most precious resource. And when it's given wisely, freely, and without expectation, any and all relationships will benefit. There are no shortcuts in this as well, because every hour lasts exactly 3,600 seconds. Silences may be long, but we just need to breathe through them and let things evolve naturally as we catch glimpses of one another behind those masks. I speak particularly to the men here. You'll all be pleased to know that I'm not going to go into a lengthy list of how many ways there are to get to know somebody. But the only observation I will make, though, is that the greater the pressure a relationship is placed under, if you don't break it, you're going to make it a very deep relationship. It's a bit like in nature. Coal is coal. Unless that coal is placed under immense pressure, then it becomes a diamond. And that's why, for many in combat, those friendships are extremely deep. I'm not suggesting for one minute that combat is the only route for men to follow in the pursuit of friendship. <laughs> Golf or a brisk walk can pretty much achieve the same thing. It just takes 25 to 30 years. It's also going to take work on our part. Because generally, any one-sided relationship, as far as effort is concerned, is doomed to fail. Anything worthwhile takes effort and friendships and deep relationships are no different. Being honest, vulnerable and real or simply authentic is also fundamental to deepening relationships because it's showing that weak underside. And that's what makes the pursuit of true friendship so difficult and time-consuming for blokes. It goes against the grain of everything we're meant to be as hunter, provider, head of the household. Women are far more efficient at developing friendships. They get to the core of things a lot quicker because they have a filter, one that is unique to their sex. It's called woman's intuition, 
And it has a sister trait specific to women called multitasking. So women invoke all these senses in appraising potential friends, and they do it simultaneously and seamlessly. We've all seen the comedic video footage showing the differences between the sexes. And I particularly like those that show how women greet one another and they sing praise to each other. It's essentially an explosion of emo emotionally charged love language, and it's actually beyond men. <laughs> Could you imagine the response I would get from another man if I were to say, hey Bob, let's assume that I've got his name right. That's a good starting point. <laughs> You're looking so rested this morning. That color of your shirt really makes your eyes pop. <laughs> and it actually brings out the gray in your hair as well. So how are you in yourself today? The likely response is to be, <laughs> and that's about it. Men only focus on the very superficial stuff like height, weight, speed in a fight, amount of body hair. Again, it's back to the protector versus nurturer thing. I spoke earlier about the origins of the handshake in the male greeting. I often wonder if the female equivalents of greeting by way of a kiss to the cheek might be to force them to pause for breath. Okay. I've got to be honest here, I didn't get clearance <laughs> for that little joke from my wife, and she always warns me to be very careful with my, my word choice. I'm in trouble. <laughs> We're also meant to be ambassadors to Christ, to the unsaved. And if they can see the quality and depth of our dealings with one another, the love that we conduct our relationships with, that again is going to speak volumes to them. It's going to be that attractive fragrance that's going to envelop all in our midst, in the presence of Jesus. As a church, potentially poised now as we are to welcome other brothers and sisters from Broadmead Church, this talk seems very well-timed as well. Let's see how, as a church, we can love these folk all in and enjoy the new dynamic that they're going to bring with their own flavorings into our pot. Let this be our encouragement. Now, folks, I've covered a lot this morning, a lot of scripture, a lot of talking, but essentially my whole talk can be summarized. It worked. Just love one another. That's our action point. Let's close in prayer. Father God, help us conform to your designed pattern. Help us, Lord, to be honest and authentic with one another. Father, help us to lower our God to expose that which you can use to help us build deeper relationships. Lord, give us depth in our relationships that can produce the depth of character that will help us to live as per your will. Amen.